Welcome to episode 27 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and with me is the interim president of the center, Lisa Bildy. We're going to start our podcast with some good news for the Justice Center and for all Canadians. We'll hear about the victory in a court case out in British Columbia by one of our younger team members. First of all, welcome, Lisa, and why don't you kick it off by filling us in on this win? Oh, yes. Brandon is a wonderful young lawyer who argued his first case all by himself in the, uh, it was called uh, the Grace Life case, and that was, or sorry, Grace Chapel. And that was a, a church in the city of New Westminster that had canceled the church's, um, they had a youth conference, a Christian youth conference that they had they had booked and they put some posters up and I guess somebody saw the poster and decided that it was a cancel worthy event. They thought they'd better get complaining about it. So, uh, so they did. And of course the city, which was, which owned the facility that was being rented for this, uh, decided that, um, you know, they really, um, based on the basis of one little complaint, they just needed to shut the whole thing down. So, uh, so they did. And, and the justice center got involved on behalf of this church. Um, uh, this is a, a multi-ethnic church, mainly immigrant community that, uh, you know, is, is trying to, uh, to, to bridge groups and, um, you know, create a very diverse space. And, uh, you know, they bring a lot of value to, to their community in, in that regard. And, uh, you know, they, uh, they wanted to fight back on this. And so Brandon argued this case and got a decision just, just in the middle part of July that was a, a great win for freedom of expression. And boy, did we ever need that boost because we haven't, we haven't seen a lot of cases lately where judges have given full-throated defense to the concept of free speech. But let me give you just a quote from Justice uh, Moraletto, who you know, she, had a, she had a great comment in her decision. She says, in a free and democratic society, the exchange and expression of diverse and often controversial or unpopular ideas may cause discomfort. It is, in a sense, the price we pay for our freedom. Once governments begin to argue that the expression of some ideas are less valuable than others, we find ourselves on dangerous ground. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, you don't hear that much anymore. And that's really like, you know, just the, the nuts and bolts of the, of the uh, liberal idea of the marketplace, you know, the mar- marketplace of ideas. We have to be able to be able to, you know, we have to be able to hear ideas from, from all comers. And, you know, some of them are going to be bad. Some of them are going to be disgusting. Some of them are going to make us cringe. Some of them are going to make us angry. But, you know, once we decide, somebody decides that we're going to have uh, rules in place to restrict the, the, the speech, well, you, you know, eventually you're, you're just going to curtail it uh, to the point where basically the public square is going to be nothing more than people standing up and shouting previously approved slogans or something. Like it's not, you know, that's where we're going to get to if we keep going down this path. We're nearly there. Yeah. But kudos to Brandon. Yes, we have to yeah. say. Okay. And that was the good news, folks. Back to the yeah. meat grinder. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, of course, uh, I think the big topic uh, right now, actually, as we're speaking, is the idea of vaccine passports because there was an announcement uh, in the news that the federal government is mandating uh, vaccines for uh, federal workers now, which is, of course, just one step to uh, away from doing it for the for everybody if they have the uh, ability to do that. So I guess they're just sort of testing the waters here. Right, right. Well, I mean, everything's just happening so quickly. Yeah. All right. Um, 
you know, that's so, so today, right now, we're recording this, it's Friday, uh, Friday the 13th. So, what do you know? Um, uh, bad luck. We yeah. are, <laughs> we are, that's me touching wood. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think it was on the 11th that the federal government announced, first of all, that it was going to put a vaccine passport in place for, uh, for international travel. Right. And this is very similar to what we saw with the lockdowns way back in March of 2020. As soon as one person or one government or one institution announced that they were going to, you know, they were going to go into lockdown. Next thing you know, there's this cascade effect and, and everybody's spilling over into lockdowns. <laughs> Uh, and the same thing is now seeming to happen with this, uh, with these vaccine mandates. So, so Trudeau announces that there's going to be a passport. And then, you know, the next thing you know, there's the provinces are all talking about it. And, and now the universities, uh, are starting to, to get into this game. So, um, just, we were having a meeting on Tuesday and, uh, Lindsay Shepard, who is our campus free speech fellow is putting together a list of all of the, um, universities across the country that are imposing vaccine mandates. And it was a pretty short list as, mm -hmm. as of the beginning of our meeting on Tuesday. And uh, basically it was like Seneca College was, was one of the few uh, in Ontario that was actually requiring vaccines to attend on campus. Some of them were, were imposing it for, um, you know, for staying in residence or for playing varsity sports. And we had written a number of letters to universities on, and colleges on behalf of various clients who'd written to us uh, saying, you know, it's completely unreasonable to have this policy. And, and here's why. And we provided all sorts of the scientific um, citations and so on for them to consider. Anyway, um, by the end of our meeting, Lindsay said, oh, scratch everything we just talked about. Uh, all of a sudden now, University of Ottawa has decided to, uh, to require vaccines to attend on campus this fall. Well, sure enough, the next day, Western did the same thing. And by the day after that, it was the University of Toronto and then Guelph and then Queens. And then, you know, it was just this, everyone's trying to outdo one another. So now I think just about all of them have some form of of mandate in place, uh, mm. where, where students, students, by the way, I mean, we're talking about a demographic that is, you know, by and large, there can be mature students, but by and large, they're, they're younger, they're, um, they have not been, uh, impacted statistically with, uh, a severe outcomes for COVID. I mean, they can get sick, but they, they aren't the ones that are the, you know, typically being hospitalized or dying. Not that there aren't zero, but there aren't very many. And if you look at it with a, an absolute risk assessment, you know that, that really they're not the demographic that, that's at risk here. Uh, but they do have some risks from the vaccines, as many people are now starting to, to point out. And even Health Canada has warnings on their website. So, you know, I think it's probably fair and reasonable for somebody looking at it as a young person to say, uh, you know, I don't really think that I need the vaccine and I don't want to take that chance. Uh, but now we've got these universities saying, sorry, you can't come on campus unless you have unless you have a vaccine or uh, potentially in some cases, you know, you have to take tests a couple times a week to prove that you're not contagious. So yeah, they so want to make it onerous at. so that you can't, uh, you can't really function properly without the right. vaccine, which is odd because, you know, as far as I understand it, it hasn't achieved full approval yet. That's another issue, of course, except it is a big issue down in the United States, as I understand it with their military, uh, certain segments of the, population can't be mandated uh, to take the vaccine because it hasn't received FDA approval down there. And I think it's only interim approval here based on the, the emergency approval down in the United States. So I'm not sure how you're going to test this legally at this point. Are you 
giving anybody advice as to what to do at this point if they're facing a situation of uh, be penalized or take the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, it's so the the concerns are starting to flood in to the mm. uh, to the website, and we're you know we're trying our best to to answer as many as we can. Um, lots of people are obviously concerned about this. A lot of parents didn't think they're you know that they needed to do this or needed their kids to do this in order to attend, and uh, so we're hearing from parents and students alike. Um, so we had a meeting about it, and we are going to try. Well, so we, we are looking at uh, lining up a case against. Um, uh, likely one of the colleges that's imposing mm. it. Um, there's a reason that we have to be a little bit careful because the Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, is more, in the case law that currently exists, it's a safer bet to go, ag- to a- go up against a college and argue for charter protection than a university at the moment, uh, particularly in Ontario. So, um, <laughs> Okay, yeah. you got to explain that. <laughs> Well, there's just been, you know, the, we, we had um, a case, probably you talked about it with John a year ago or so, when mm. the University of Alberta uh, acknowledged that the Charter of Rights applied, you know, in terms of a free speech case. Right. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And uh, so there's just there's just a body of case law that is not entirely certain whether the charter fully applies to oh, things on campus. Okay, ah, so okay. so we're starting to get there. We there was a case in Manitoba last week, which we're just uh, analyzing um, that uh, you know where the, the governing authorities there, like the administration, should have considered the the applicability of the charter when they were um, disciplining a student. But so I mean, we're starting to get there, but it isn't. It isn't such a robust position that we can walk in and say for certain that the charter applies in all respects, and you're violating the charter. Um, but there I has see. been case there has been case law where it's more applicable to colleges because there's a closer connection to government uh, in that the government appoints people who sit on college boards, and it's just a, it's a more direct connection. So, I see. Yeah. No, um, I, I I misunderstood at first. So it's a matter of whether the charter applies. Mm-hmm. To college versus a university. Okay, now that that makes it uh, a yeah. lot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we certainly say that it does, and we're and we're going to be arguing that position in in many years, to, you know, over many years to come, and, and many cases to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just going forward in in this current judicial climate right now, where um, you know, there's a lot of deference being given to governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's maybe maybe a little wiser for us to pursue a college. So uh, we're looking at that. Uh, we have, we have a number of people, of course, have written to us. We haven't, we haven't started it yet, uh, but we're, we're certainly considering uh, such an application and we'd obviously like to get it going quickly once we get the, the uh, I's dotted and T's crossed on that. So, um, so, I mean, we're going to do what we can on this. Some of the colleges and universities are offering, well, as we said, uh, you know, the, the option of having, uh, tests instead. Now, I, I think in some cases, those are the rapid tests. So I don't know if those are a little less invasive. I haven't actually had to take a test. I don't leave my house. <laughs> so I haven't taken a test of any kind over the last 18 months. So um, I don't know if those rapid tests are a little less invasive than the PCR test. But anyway, um, so one thing students can may be able to do is, is, uh, is just take those those tests. Not that that, you know, not that that's ideal either, but, mm-hmm. but that may be an option. And then, you know, there, there may be exemptions at some schools too. Again, this is all happening very quickly. So as we speak, the policies are all just rolling out. We haven't even seen them all yet. In some cases, there may be exemptions granted, which, um, 
you know, maybe a little broader, uh, you know, depending on, on the school. Uh, mm. But they all have to apply the Ontario Human Rights Code for the ones in Ontario. And, and there are grounds for exemptions from uh, from mandatory vaccines. Uh, they're fairly limited, but they might be applicable. So for medical reasons or uh, for matters of religion or creed. So Nothing to do with effectiveness now that they're telling us there's a Lambda variant coming that is impervious to the current vaccines. I think even they were saying that about the Delta variant as well. And uh, the fact that a lot of the people getting infected were already vaccinated. So uh, I think this is probably behind some of the concern that people have that uh, they're they're going to be getting an unnecessary vaccination. At any rate, yeah. what what portion of the charter would you be using to uh, say apply to uh, a mandatory vaccine vaccination case? Well, I think we'd look at section seven, which is hmm. you know security of the person. Okay. Um, we should have certainly it's our position that you should have bodily autonomy. You should be able to to decide what goes into your body and not. And uh, um, you know, particularly when there's when there are some risks associated with it that have been well documented. This isn't us making it up. Um, you know, there's it, a, it's a, my body, my choice thing. Well, it? I think so. Yeah, okay. it, it certainly should be. But um, again, we're, we're dealing with this sort of t- tsunami of public opinion that is, is, is kind of pushing this on in the same way we saw this. It's like, it's a total deja vu of the beginning of the lockdowns. You know, mm-hmm. remember there were like people clamoring to be locked down and it didn't matter whether you were raising reasonable objections, trying calling for a balancing of harms, proposing solutions that might be less onerous, less draconian, less invasive, whatever. Uh, you know, anybody who wasn't with the program was just, you know, they were just marginalized completely and, and told that they were whatever. People. Yes. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, so so we've been through this before. Now we're seeing it on the vaccine file. Um mm-hmm. Again, like I was just sort of starting the litany there with the universities, but I mean, you know, today, in addition to to all of that, now we're seeing the call for, uh, well, it's not even a call, it's an announcement that the federal government's going to require vaccines for all federal public servants and passengers on air and train interprovincially. So, you know... (laughs) Is really the noose is tightening. If you don't want to have a vaccine, you're going to find that you're not able to participate in uh, in a lot. And I got to tell you, there was a, a Hamilton City Councilor just yesterday. I'm going to pull this quote up for you. Um, it was quite the thing. Hang on one sec. Let me find it for you. Um, pull up this lovely little gem. This was in Global News yesterday. And of course, I have 85 million tabs open, so it's very slow. Here we go. Uh, yes, this is a counselor by the name of Jason Farr. He says, uh, yes. So they're talking about uh, whether it should be, um, whether vaccine passports should be rolled out in which settings should be deemed to be passport zones. And so there was a question, there was some discussion between counselors, I guess, as to uh, whether it should be fine-tuned to ensure that it was just like a sort of only for non-essential things. And the counselor I just mentioned said he had essential settings like grocery stores or hospitals in mind as a typical venue requiring some proof of vaccination before entry. And I thought, wow, (laughs) you are basically saying that people should not be able to get groceries or go to the hospital if they haven't had a vaccine. We're not just talking going to the ball game now. We're upping the stakes. Um, 
Yes. So I would call that sociopathic. And at, ah, that, at this point, yeah. I would say, uh, I would recommend that article I read today in Zero Hedge about uh, the different types of people that uh, support tyranny and those who oppose it, because it does mention, you know, this type of person. That's all I'm going to say about that. It'll be in the show notes below. Anyways, uh, okay. Yeah, that's, why I, that's why I use the word sociopathic, because I mean, come on, you're talking about not allowing people to eat or seek help. Right. I mean, it's just getting crazy. I mean, it's mm -hmm. and, and there was an article in the CBC talking about uh, vaccine passports right after the federal government ones. So this was just the, the you know, the first step. And uh, there were like 5,500 comments when I looked at it. And of course, I couldn't read them all. But I, I ranked them by, like I, I sorted them by most liked. And for the first couple of pages that I flipped through, they were all saying, well, that's not far enough. It's got to be more. Um you know, here, here's the bottom line. What the, the uh, drug companies have said is that these vaccines were not designed or tested to prevent transmission. They are there to protect people from severe outcomes. And from what I've seen, and, and you know, maybe some of the vari variants aren't applicable. And again, I'm not a scientist. I'm just going from what we have, the, what they've said in their own statements, their own materials right. on their websites. Um, that uh, that they aren't designed to stop transmission. And so if that's the case, and now we're starting to see evidence of breakthroughs and, and uh, transmission between different, um, you know, people who are all already vaccinated, right? And without mm -hmm. even, uh, like it's it, it's proving to, to be the case that the vaccines clearly do not stop transmission. And if that's the case, why are we talking about a vaccine passport if people who have the vaccine can, can transmit it as well? There was actually... Um, uh, let me just see if I can find it. There was a, a well, maybe CDC. that's not the reason. I would just suggest well, the reason it has nothing to do with science. Well, I have to say, yeah, things so. have not added up for a very long time in the way mm. that it should. Right. So, right. so it, again, if you're not if you're not stopping transmission with the vaccines, and you're only and the they're and they are in fact at least they have been with the earlier variants uh, effective at protecting people from severe outcomes then really it doesn't matter if somebody else has a vaccine. If you are worried about it, if you're vulnerable, this is a, a wonderful thing for you then. You can take this vaccine and you can be uh, comfortable that you are not likely going to have a severe outcome, at least earlier. Like, I, I don't know if that's changing with the variants. And I'm again, I want to say I'm not a scientist. I'm a lawyer. So this isn't my expertise. But but from what I am reading, you know, the, the it's not... A vaccine passport would maybe make sense, although still be kind of offensive. But if it actually stopped any uh, any and all transmission, but it, it doesn't do that. So so mm -hmm. a vaccine passport is is completely uh, contrary to the you know to the purpose. So anyway, I just want to tell you this: this CDC report uh, mm -hmm. reported from a July 2021 outbreak in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. There were 469 COVID cases identified among residents who had traveled there and. 74% occurred in fully vaccinated persons. So now it doesn't say whether they were all serious. There were, I think there were a few hospitalized, but not that many. There were five, five people hospitalized out of 469, I guess, mm. now that I look at it. So again, and most people seem to have been protected by it. So anyway, the, the vaccine passports don't make sense to me uh, on, on the science that I have read. Uh, I get argued, uh, people argue with me about that if I, say things like that on Twitter. So I, I try to stay out of the science. And <laughs> but I'm, that's what I'm wondering is anticipate a court case. How much science do you have to drag in there? 
I know how much you had to put in or how much was put into the Manitoba case regarding the lockdowns. Do you anticipate a similar amount of uh, expert opinion being brought forward on these issues if you go to court on the mandatory vaccines or vaccine passports? Yeah, we will have to have experts on this. Um, mm. And I know that uh, uh, we are in some discussions with, with potential experts, um, certainly to talk about this transmissibility uh, issue. Um, right. That's that's one key part of it, but uh, you know that that person can probably also speak to the risks of harm and uh, and other issues that'll be uh, in in contention. If somebody is re- refusing to take the vaccine for for reasons of their own uh, security of the person, then um, you know we have to the court's going to be looking at things like is this is this mandate arbitrary? Is it uh, and is it overly broad? And and then when we get through that test and we're into the Oaks test, and you know is it proportional? Is it uh, is it rationally connected to the goal? You know, that's a big one. So mm-hmm. you need expert evidence to to speak to those elements of the test that uh, you're going to be re- responding to. Uh, of course, the onus is on the government on on the Oaks part of the test, that section one. Uh, but we have an onus ourselves under section seven to prove that um, any violation is contrary to principles of fundamental justice. So, uh, so yes, the short answer: we do nef- we do definitely need to have experts on board to help us with this. And we will, uh, uh, I'm sure we'll be finding some great people again. We had Dr. Bhattacharya, as you know, with the lockdown challenge, and he was just, he was just fantastic. Yeah, widely quoted everywhere. And uh, Mm -hmm. of course, uh, looks like in other places, they are having some success with sort of the Barrington, Great Barrington Declaration type of approach, which is protect the elderly, or the vulnerable, mm-hmm. actually, is what it is. So, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, you're saying that's what the vaccines are for anyway, right? You know, they to protect mm-hmm. the vulnerable, so it kind of fits into that as well. Well, that's what they said. That's what they told mm-hmm. us on their own, uh, you know, uh, yeah. pharma, pharma company websites. So, I have to believe that's uh, that's what they were intending. But anyway, that's that's getting into the science a bit, and that's mm. kind of on to to the next stage of things. But we are um, we're definitely concerned about all these things, and you know, it's all part of this. Um, I don't know. It's been kind of like this this mass. Um, I don't know. I don't want to call it hysteria, but it almost feels like it. Like everybody's gotten very, very worked up about stuff without any perspective being thrown into the mix. Mm-hmm. And you know, there it's not that there's nothing there to be concerned about. There totally is, but there's but you know, let's let's try to put things in perspective and, and nobody wants to to do that anymore. And so I'm not surprised once you introduce fear into the population the way that has been done here, that you're having a hard time rolling it back. And, uh, you know, I frankly don't understand why governments aren't trying to roll it back more because I don't think this is helping anybody to be uh, spiraling like this into, you know, these these measures which are, I mean, I, th- we're just not a free society anymore uh, if we're going down this path. It's just getting, it's Maybe just getting that's their absolutely goal. frightening. That's what everybody's speculating. Oh, not everybody. Everybody that I communicate with is speculating. Right, right. Well, you do start to wonder. I mean, Mm. at very least, it seems like an awful lot of people uh, are just uncomfortable with the idea of a free society. And, Mm. uh, you know, I think they'll miss it when it's gone. Um, They don't appreciate it. They haven't thought about it. You know, they in, in moments like this, it's comforting to have somebody else looking after things and, and, you know, keeping everybody else tightly controlled because they're worried. And yeah, but, you know, you can be worried, but not kind of throw away your, the uh, entire foundation of your free society. Um, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, 
it's not just free society. I mean, the free society is the prosperous society. It's the society that thrives. I mean, it doesn't, it's not just that we want to, you know, walk around without masks, you know, it's actually important to have freedom to produce a society that, that thrives economically. And uh, I would say, I would say spiritually, but economically as well, you know, you need to be able to go out and, and work properly, you know, and you need mm -hmm. to be able to exchange ideas mm -hmm. freely in order for things to progress. Um, that's probably a slot very well under an discussion, a discussion over uh, the impositions on free speech that are coming up as well. But right. I mean, you wanted to speak generally to the whole trend. And I think that's what you're getting at here. Mm -hmm. We are, uh, do you think it's just a matter of fear? Or, I mean, well, you know, there, there have been studies, there were studies that were done. Remember Pavlov, the guy who uh, is known for conditioning the, the behavior of a dog, right? You know, you, you ring the bell and the dog knows it's, it's time to eat. Uh, because he's, yeah. he's Right, because he's uh, he's been conditioned to, to know that when he hears the bell, he's going to get food. Mm -hmm. So Pavlov himself had done some research into behavioral uh, control and management in contexts where there was fear imposed and, um, and discovered that when you're um, doing behavioral conditioning in that kind of context, the habits that form are extremely sticky. So it's very hard to dislodge that once it's been imprinted on you, I guess. So, you know, once you start playing around with fear, uh, it, it's just very dangerous for society. Uh, there's a certain segment of the population that is very susceptible to that kind of, um, you know, behavioral control and, right. and others who will kind of just go along because they think they, you know, they have to, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not the type to question things too much. And then there's another segment of the population that is just sort of skeptical and you can't, you know, you can't really do much with them. <laughs> I guess probably that's us, right? The, that's the natural me. born, <laughs> the natural born skeptics, the ones who question everything. And my goodness, you know, you need to have people like us in our society because if everybody just follows along, uh, that can, you know, it'll lead you to bad places. You got to have the contrarians, the people who, who say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And if you don't have those people and you don't allow for uh, for those people to have a, a platform to, to speak up, if you don't or if you shut them down from existing platforms, I think it's to the general detriment of society. So anyway, a lot of um, uh, countries used behavioral psychology uh, officially, like they had committees set up to to take advantage of what is known about human psychology for the purposes of getting compliance on all these COVID regulations early on in the pandemic. And there's actually been um, a lot coming out of the UK lately, uh, like in the last month or, or so, about the, um, the regrets that some of the people on the Behavioral Psychology Committee have now about what they did. Um, right. You know, they, they there's actually been a book written about it. Um, don't recall the name offhand. Oh, State of Fear, it's called. Now, I haven't read it, but but it's about the use of fear by this by these behavioral psychologists. And they're they're even questioning their own uh, ethics now. And having done so, like some of them are saying, look, it, it, it went too far. Um mm -hmm. And people got kind of power hungry about it. So uh, there was an article in the Telegraph about it too. I mean, this is actually very mainstream uh, stuff now. People could Google it and find it. Maybe you can put something in the show notes um, to look into too. But 
uh, you know, again, you play with fear and you and you reap uh, consequences that you maybe uh, can't control, and it's uh, it's just very dangerous. So so we're stuck in this fear pattern now, and nobody can seem to get out. Like, it's, where's the end to all of this? Are we going to be in this state now for years? Every time that there's a slight variation in this virus, I don't think that the hospital data is uh, you know necessarily, or the deaths are necessarily you know at, at a point where we should all be panicking but you know that's it seems to well, be they certainly that, weren't in the past over the first round that was the thing you know we we saw it definitely oversold based on mm-hmm. the justice center data that was pulled together from public sources that it was really oversold and it seems i guess that that overselling has led to this skepticism Although, as you pointed out, some of us are natural skeptics and will always be. And thank you very much for telling everybody how valuable we are. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, I'm sticking up for myself just as much (laughs) as you. Um, You know, but it's interesting because, you see, now we've got, as you know, right from the very beginning of this, like maybe we had a couple of weeks of, hey, we're all in this together back in March. Mm -hmm. Um, But it quickly split along very partisan lines and we're already in a very polarized world. So, uh, and I think everybody can, can feel this very, um, you know, acutely that this has become a very political pandemic. And if you are in, you know, a, a certain side of the political spectrum, you're more likely to think that lockdowns are, are necessary, appropriate. Um, uh, and anybody who opposes them is a, you know, I don't know, a, alt-right, horrible, um, mouth-breathing, savage, whatever, right? Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm banging on the table again. I do this all the time. I, I gotta, <laughs> you're going to hear taps again. Um, and, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, like it sort of plays into, there's this element of the population that, that really likes to sort of control what everybody else is, is doing, saying, thinking, and that's been escalating as we've all felt through this culture war, which has been going on for, I mean, it's been going on for, you know, since it's been, it's been, well, it's had multiple iterations over decades, uh, but it's been really picking up the pace over the last decade or so. And even more specifically, like since about 2015, it's this cancel culture, authoritarianism, uh, you need to think what we think, anybody who doesn't exactly mouth these words and, and subscribe to these um, beliefs is, is cast aside. You can't question anything. Uh, you know, that's already what we were dealing with in our society. And so then you, you layer this over top and it's become a very convenient tool to identify now people who are not part of that, um, that cultural hegemony. Um, mm. <laughs> you know, so here we all are, those of us who maybe go against the grain on in, in the culture war too, frankly, who are now, you know, kind of being marginalized as, as people who shouldn't be in polite society. And, uh, you know, again, it's not a complete mapping of the two. I know there's lots of people who are on the same side in the culture war who are happy to be vaccinated uh, or grateful for them, um, you know, and maybe even don't object too much to the lockdowns. It's not a perfect mapping, but it's awfully close. And mm. so, you know, it, it does make it a bit of a tool for nefarious purposes, I suppose, if you've got people who, you know, sort of identify um, their opponents politically as being outside of, of the, um, you, know, you know, the consensus opinion on, on vaccines and lockdowns, boy, it's sure easy to, to get harsh with them. And right, I think yeah. that's part and parcel of what we're seeing with the with the um, 
the mandates that are coming through. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I may be uh, speculating a bit, but that's just a, it's a part of a pattern I have been observing over several years now. And it just, right. yeah. And also, you know, this kind of ties into the free speech issues, which are uh, becoming all the more dire and pressing when we see the government trying to push through their, their anti-hate legislation. And again, expanding what is meant by hate and really kind of talking about harmful content that we don't really like. In other words, you know, non- non-woke content, uh, anybody questioning what we say is the new orthodoxy. Uh, I'm worried that that's what's really meant to be captured in all of this. I and think you're right. I would agree with you 100% there, that they're really, they're using the whole idea of hate as just sort of the blind to bring in the mechanisms for control. And anybody who thinks that they're going to get protected by this, I'm hoping that they see through it. You know, I would, it, when you're talking about hate speech, I would be speaking, I guess, then to the minority communities. You know, they're, they're offering what they say is protection from hurt feelings and insults to these minority groups. But I would say, don't take the bait. You know, I played with you, don't take the bait because it could be turned against you and will be turned against you when you become inconvenient. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm hoping well, for. So. Yes, well, and, and that's true. And I think it's important for people to remember that when we fight for individual rights, that is the smallest minority. And, you know, well, you may think, well, um, you know, these people who, who are screaming for freedom are, uh, I don't know, uh, we, we, we're getting increasingly disparaged. It's quite, it's quite bizarre because these are, these are, uh, classical liberal principles that have brought us the enlightenment. They have brought us the progress that we see today in our world. Uh, if we didn't have, if we didn't have these things like the marketplace of ideas, like the ability to have, you know, to have your own opinions and thoughts and beliefs and, and express them without fear of being, you know, having your head taken off or, or being tossed in jail or in the stocks. Um, if, if we didn't have that and the ability to, to, I mean, it, it ties into this idea that you have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to think freely and speak freely in order to advance things like science and and uh, and become a, a society that is that is thriving and prosperous. Because if you don't do that, if you don't um, allow for that, you're, you're basically in this pre-modern society where some uh, higher up person decides everything. You, the individual citizens don't, you know, have uh, have any um, sort of. I don't know, standing themselves uh, to, to have their own opinions. Uh, I mean, we've, we've arrived at this period of enlightenment over many, many centuries, and we're just, we're watching it now erode. And to stand up for those values now is seen as somehow being fa fascist. I it, mean, it's, it's just, it's unimaginable how twisted the thinking is. But it comes from, I, I think, you know, I, I, uh, I spend some time reading and researching about things like this, but I think it comes from a school of thought that is really quite Marxist and neo-Marxist in its foundations. I don't know if any of your listeners have heard of James Lindsay, who's written a book called, um, what's it called? Um, Cynical Theories. Cynical Theories. He's done a real deep dive into a lot of the underpinnings, the literature, the academic basis for the culture war that we're currently in. And one of the things that he talked about just recently, and I'll, I'll give you the link for your show notes as well, is um, is this notion of repressive tolerance. Mm -hmm. And so there was a guy by the name of Herbert Marcuse who wrote back in the 1960s, I think, uh, an essay called Repressive Tolerance. And essentially, 
you know, what, what he's trying to, to argue is that in order to have the free society for, uh, for, you know, the right people, you've got to shut down the opinions of the wrong people. So, uh, you know, he's, um, he, here's if we can find a quote here. Uh, and here's his own words. Liberating tolerance, then, this is his quote, would mean intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left. Well, doesn't that kind of sound like, doesn't that kind of sound like what we're dealing with today? Because people who are on the left, broadly, you know, and, and when I talk about that, I but mean... But it's not an intellectual I mean like argument. The, That's the thing. It's just no, like, it's my, guys, my guys win, your guys don't. Oh, oh exactly. really? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you exactly. Know. And this is why a lot of these people don't really want to have arguments. They don't, they just want to shut you down by calling you names or, or just you know, removing you from a platform. They don't want to get into a debate on the merits. And I think it has to be understood that, that that's, that's where we're at. I mean, um, we, we are fully in this repressive tolerance situation now. And, and mm. you can just expect you're not going to be able to, to debate the ideas. You're just going to get removed. Um, and that's, that's, that's the path we've, we've gone down. Now, we can stop it, but we got to work real hard, real fast, to do so. And that means that people who are, you know, average citizens kind of sitting there going, well, this is weird. The world kind of doesn't feel right anymore. You know, I don't mm -hmm. understand why I can't say basic things like, you know, uh, humans are a dimorphic species with males and females. You know, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. Suddenly I'm in trouble. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who feel uncomfortable about things, but not so uncomfortable that they're willing to do anything about it. And uh, they need to they need to start doing something about it. Well, that's frankly. just it. <clears throat> You're going to tell them what to do. <laughs> well, I had uh, I had my own little uh, moment, and I'll just maybe briefly share it. I know John's mentioned it before on your show, but I had uh, I had homeschooled my kids for a while, not for any ideological reasons, but just because they weren't a great fit with school, and they were really kind of keen learners and school was kind of getting in the way of the learning. So I brought them home and I homeschooled them for a while and I just did legal research and writing on the side. Um, and when I was gearing up to go back to, to practicing law again, I uh, having, you know, been involved, but not like super watching closely what was happening with the law society. I suddenly saw that they had instituted now this mandatory requirement that all lawyers had to swear a statement of principles that they would promote in all aspects of their lives, equality, diversity, and inclusion. And, and that would be a condition of practicing law. And there would be consequences if you didn't put forward this, this statement. And I thought, well, hang on here. Um, I mean, those sound like nice words, but I've been watching this culture war. You know, at that point, I, the kids were pretty independent with their learning. So I was on the computer watching the culture war. And so I knew that those words didn't mean necessarily what they uh, appeared to mean. And, you know, when they talk about diversity, they don't mean diversity that the way that, you know, you and I would think or most normal people would think it means. Uh, they mean everybody needs to think the same as us. And when they talk about inclusion, they mean only the people that think like us. And when they talk about equality, well, they, they actually mean equity, which is people like us uh, need to get to the finish line regardless of how we get there. So, um, so I took a position... And by the way, this was not normal. I was kind of like, you know, not that outspoken at that time. <clears throat> but um, uh, but I stood up at a meeting, actually, of our, our law association locally. And I said, 
I actually recited a quote from C.S. Lewis about moral busybodies. And uh, I said, you know, I, I have looked through the report that they're basing this on. I have, um, you know, I've just decided that I, I cannot subscribe to this. And I, I'm prepared to basically give up my license to practice law if I have to do this. But I want to fight it. And mm. anyway, I we managed to pull together. Uh, I got together with some other people who heard me at that meeting. And, and next thing I knew, we were building a... A committee, and then beyond that, we had we we ran a bunch of candidates in an election to take over the law society leadership, and uh, it was called Stop Sop, uh, Stop the Statement of Principles, and we were successful. Actually, we didn't have enough for a majority, so it was a hard fight to get uh, to get the Statement of Principles removed. But it did get removed, and uh, we need more people to to get on on the committee on the the governing board next time. But it can be done. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you you can make a difference if you just decide, no, this is the line in the sand for me. I'm not going to live by lies. I'm going to speak the truth in all that I do. I'm going to endure the consequences. And I'm going to, you know, I, I'll, I think when you stand up, people are worried that they're going to You put your head above the parapet. You're going to get it knocked off. And sometimes that does happen. But you also can inspire courage in other people. And if you're strategic about it and you pull together a team and you fight together, you can you can make a difference. So there's a lot of people right now in the U.S., for example, trying to take back their school boards. The uh, You know, a lot of parents uh, forming groups now to because they're realizing that the public schools have been taken over by ideology and, and, and the kids are being indoctrinated and into all kinds of things that the parents don't really agree with. And so they're, they're, they're pushing back. Hmm. So uh, this is the time to do it, by the way, because... Um, I don't think we have a, a lot of time to play with here. Right. So you're is citizen action and Absolutely. stand stand up at the next meeting uh, you're at and quote C.S. Lewis and yep. give them a blast. <laughs> well, that's good. No, I, I agree entirely. It's very inspiring to see what they're doing down in the uh, United States with the various school boards, and of course, with everybody having a cell phone, it can uh, it can the word can get out pretty quickly as well. It's been said that Canadians, though, are a complacent lot or an obedient lot. Uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's true. I know Alberta has a reputation for being uh, cantankerous and uh, contrarian, which is, you know, my, always my fallback excuse, right? But I don't know what's wrong with you Ontarians. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank goodness for Albertans in that sense. I mean, you know, we do need to have uh, we need to do need to have the cowboys, right? Yeah, that's it. There we go. Let me get my hat. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I think part of it is that Canada has defined itself over many generations as being anything the Americans are not. And right. Americans are kind of known for their loud, messy freedom. And so, you know, we're just far too polite for that. We don't, uh, you know, we're not live free or die type people here, unless you're Albertan. Um, you know, we should be. We should be. uh we should be valuing that because that's really what makes this country great. I think a lot of people have forgotten that. And we're going to find out soon that all those, those principles uh, that, that I was talking about, the, the sort of classical liberal principles that we have built the country on are, um, you know, when they're gone, they're going to be awfully hard to get back. It's like a, it's like a historical blip. Uh, most of humanity has not lived under this kind of freedom. Um, and I think, yeah. I think once you lose it, it's, it's gone. It may be gone for a long time. Sure. As far as our Canadian heritage goes, um, I think we have to remember we're also a nation of hockey, and that mm-hmm. means you can take them out in the corners, elbows up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that's let's right. remember that part of our heritage as well. Elbows up. Right? All right. Well, yeah. that's, that'd be a good uh, note to end on, everybody. Uh, elbows up. <laughs> you want to call the program that? Yeah, uh, sure. Let's do that. Uh, well, maybe we just uh, quickly wrap up on uh, anything else the Justice Center doing. I know you're saying we're going to do these podcasts more. That's probably going to be good news for the people that enjoyed listening to us weekly before. Um, any upcoming things? I know that uh, you had mentioned to me uh, that – you had set up a committee now to study the free speech issue, and that's within the Justice Center. You know, you basically put a, a bunch of people on that file. Are you doing the same thing now with the mandatory vaccines and the vaccine passports? Are you going to set up some kind of internal study committee to get that going? Yes. Yes, we okay. are. And um, and that's, I think, how we're going to approach a lot of these things. We need to get uh, uh, we need to get people working uh, on teams to get, mm. uh, to get you know, to make sure we're, we're – um, developing our expertise on these areas and that we're getting, we're getting people working um, effectively and efficiently and, and, and all hands on deck on the big files. I mean, these are, these are really massive issues for our time. And uh, I don't see a lot of other people in this space fighting here. So, I mean, we, we just need, we need to be here. And, and even if we can't beat it, we sure need to hold people to account. And I'm not saying we won't beat it, but I'm just saying you got to fight, right? You just, you Mm. can't just, you can't just let the, all this steamroll over us. And so uh, somebody's got to stand in the breach. And I think the Justice Center has been doing that for a long time. And we got to, you know, we got to keep doing that. So uh, now I think if an election is called, which it sounds like it's going to be, uh, those those bills will be off the table for a little while, the anti-hate and the, you know, Bill C-10, Bill C-36, but they'll be back. They will no, be but back. they become election issues then, don't they? Doesn't everything become an election issue? That's, yes. the, interest, you know, that's the interesting thing about this is that uh, all that we're discussing here suddenly becomes, you know, something that people can take to the polls. And uh, I know we're a nonpartisan organization, so I'm not going to make any recommendations here. But I think that these are important enough issues, and I think people understand that, that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything is up for discussion now and do discuss it uh, Mm -hmm. as the election uh, proceeds. So there's that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Make your voice heard. Uh, Does that – by the way, with an election being called, does that actually – curtail us any do we have to suddenly shut up because we're a non-profit organization <laughs> you know so I don't know. <laughs> oh boy we better check into that well i'm yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm not planning to shut up but um, okay uh, <laughs> that's good okay but you are planning to go outside soon you said you've been staying in too much i know that you mentioned that uh you're actually going to yes. go out and get your hair done soon. So <laughs> Yes, yes. It's been like a, a very long time. Um, Ontario has been kind of coming out of our uh, lockdowns, um, but it takes a while to kind of catch up on all those things that you know everybody was putting off. Um, yeah. Now, Alberta, it sounds like maybe getting a few things back, a few restrictions back, or, or not quite lifting them as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I well. don't know where that's going to go, but uh, I, and I don't know what the fall is going to hold for us. But uh, well, of course, we see Australia; they're in winter there now, and they they got troops in the streets. And uh, I unfortunately fear uh, that that might be what the, that might be foreshadowing what they're going to attempt to do here, based on uh, very weak data too. That's the thing in Australia; you know, they don't have that many cases, that many deaths, and yet uh, you know they've gone full tyranny. There, so, uh, and I, I will point out, like I say, they're midwinter there. Their seasons are opposite, so they'll be in high flu season. So I, I fear that that's what's going to be coming up for our Christmas season. So, 
Well, I guess we'll see, but uh, I have a feeling that uh, we'll be working full out for a while to come. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Well, we'll make it a short one this time just so we can uh, get it out. And uh, thanks, Lisa, for uh, being with us on episode 27, our comeback episode here. And we'll be talking to you uh, next week, I'm sure, as things progress. Take care. Sounds good. Thank you.